All right. Get your Bibles and open to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. So as Jeff mentioned, uh, we are... Is that a little too loud? Can you tell? What do you think? As Jeff mentioned... Chris, yeah, good, back there, all right. As Jeff mentioned, we are preaching through uh, the Psalms where every summer we're taking a selection. It was kind of funny because uh, Kenny keeps the tabs on uh, the tally of the Psalms and, and uh, we're saying, okay, what's, what's available? And he t- emailed back, well, you've preached 33 of them, <laughs> so there's a few still available. <laughs> there's 150, so, so at the end of this summer, we'll be about you know, 30, 39 or so Psalms preached. So we are working our way uh, through these Psalms over the summers, and it's a blessing to, to be here again today. So Psalm 4, we'll be reading and praying over this passage. This is the Word of God, true, inerrant, infallible, and we believe it. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again for this day to come and worship your holy name to worship your blessed Son, to worship your Holy Spirit. We honor and worship you, triune God of the universe. Lord, now would you open my mouth that I may proclaim your goodness. Would you open our eyes that we may see your glory. Open our ears that we may hear your truth. And open our hearts to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Music is given to us as a gift of God. It's melodic beauty. It's harmonic quality. It's resonant percussion. It's mathematic precision. Harmony itself gives us a beautiful representation of the Trinity as we think about the chord. To have a chord, you need a number of notes, three notes, played together to make a chord, to make this beautiful harmony. It's a picture of the Trinity of unity in diversity. From the Hallelujah Chorus 
to Happy Birthday, from Beethoven's Ninth to A Baby's Lullaby, music serves a purpose. Music is teleological, which means it has a design. It has a purpose. And so it is with the Psalms. Steve Lawson says in his book, Preaching the Psalms, he says the word Psalms comes from a Greek word, which means the plucking of strings. As the Psalms were initially sung on, with stringed instruments, accompanied by stringed in instruments such as the harp or the lyre, often accompanied by a singer as he praised God. As the title indicates, the Psalms are a collection of worship songs sung with a musical accompaniment. The Hebrew title for the book of Psalms is Tehillim, a Hebrew word that means make a jubilant sound or praise. Thus, the collective of these, collective of these 150 Psalms into one book, the Psalter, serves as the first hymn book for God's people in order to assist them in making a joyful noise in worshiping Him. Friend, God's people have always been a singing people. God's people have always been a psalming people. We are the book, people of the book, and we are the people of the song. Listen from the Old Testament, Psalm 96, to the command there. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. And from the New Testament, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then do what? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Ephesians, when Paul is directing those uh, new believers how to walk in the world and how to live in the world, listen to what he says. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, what, the, what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk on wine, for that's debauchery. But instead, be filled with the Spirit, and then doing what? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence. So let me put it this way. We sing to glorify God, to instruct men, and to refresh the soul. And that is true of our psalm this morning. There are different kinds of psalms in our Psalter, in our psalm book just as there are different kinds of songs. We could refer to these as, in literary terms as, as genre or types. I mean, you think about just songs. There's, there's songs for marching. There's songs for fighting. There's songs for courting. There's songs for, for putting babies to sleep. There's songs for waking them up. As a teacher in Long Beach Unified, there's often a time when kindergarten when it's like, uh, it's time to make a transition. The kindergarten teacher, and sometimes even myself, will say, it's time to clean up, it's time to clean up, right? And the kids all get up, and, start, and so we have a song to clean up. It's time to line up. There's little songs to help us move and, and think and, and dance and, and even songs to cry, songs to mourn. And that's true of the psalms in this 
book of the Word of God, there are different types. There are psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of praise. There are psalms that are didactic, which are teaching songs. There are psalms of kinship. There are the imprecatory psalms, which are of, of wrath and judgment, psalms of trust. There are even acrostic psalms. It's like Psalm 119 that takes the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and works through as, as, a, as a mnemonic device to remember. And there are, like our psalm today, psalms of lament. Psalm 4 is a song of lament. Psalms of lament, of lament follow a com common pattern or theme. Sometimes they can be a little bit out of order, but there's four major uh, situations here, four major uh, points to a, a psalm of lament. The problem is stated, God is trusted, God is petitioned, and finally God is praised. And that's the common pattern that laments follow. The problem, then God is trusted, God is petitioned, and God is praised. So what is the problem in Psalm 4? Eminent Old Testament theologian Bruce Waltke says this, he says, of, of the over 50 psalms of, of lament in the book of Psalms, only three of them do not specifically mention the enemy or the crisis or the problem that the psalmist is lamenting. And this is one of the three. Watke believes that the problem that David is facing here in this psalm is possibly drought. It's not mentioned specifically, but, but here, listen, and here's a couple of, of reasons that he gives. When we look at verse 2, O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Watke sees that the word lies there could also be tra translated falsehood, or the word also for false gods. How long will you continue to seek after false gods, falsehood? And even the O oh men there, uh, in some translations, is O oh son of man, or, or high and exalted man. So, so these are leaders or, or people of the region who have turned away from God and they're seeking after false gods for some reason. Why is that? Well, the possibility is down in verse 7. It helps us with that theory, Watke's theory, that, that David is saying that he will trust God even in a time of drought when mighty men have turned on their backs, turned their backs on his God and turned their backs on his kingship. In verse 7 he says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The possibility is there that, that, that there's a drought in the area. And the false god that they would be following after would be the, the, the pagan god of the region who is Baal. Statues of Baal have been uncovered and archaeologists have found them. And, and the statues of Baal show him in one hand holding a forked uh, uh, scepter-looking thing, which, which is representative of lightning, this jagged uh, spear, and the other hand, a thundercloud. Think back and remember when Elijah had his showdown, right? And we can think, uh, I can't help it, ooh, <laughs> right? I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> you think about that, Elijah shows up to face off with the prophets of Baal. And two major elements that come into that showdown are water and fire water and fire. And Elijah shows that his God is the true and living God. And so there's a great possibility that the crisis here is that, is that there is a drought possibly 
There's speculation there. We, we're, we're being honest and open about that. But uh, this theologian believes that that's a great possibility. And so the people who should be uh, listening to the king, David, and his mighty king above him, the king of the universe, God, who should be waiting and, and hoping in him, have turned to false lies and false uh, gods to look for help, help from other regions. There's a possibility also it could be, could be um, dealing with his son Absalom also, who is after the throne. We're not exactly sure what the crisis is, but we know that there is a crisis. It is a crisis of storm or drought that brings David to this point of lament. He's not much different than you are, is he? He's not much different than I am. There are times of crisis in our own lives. There are times of storm. There are times of drought. I don't know what time you find yourself in. But sometimes a time of drought, a time of dryness, a time of wilderness, a time when our souls are parched, we need something from our God. And the question is, where do we turn to find that satisfaction? Do we wait on the Lord or do we try to turn to false ideas, lies, or false gods? We can learn from our brother David this morning with three elements in this sermon today. David's call, David's command, and David's consolation. So let's get started. Number one, David's call. Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David's trust is in his God. And when he is in distress, he knows who to cry to. Matthew Henry says this, all the notice that God is pleased to take of our prayers and all the returns He is pleased to make to them must be ascribed not to our merit, but purely to His mercy. Hear me for my mercy. Hear me for Thy mercy's sake, not my mercy's sake. Hear me for Thy mercy's sake is our best plea, Matthew Henry says. And so David cries out to the God of his righteousness and the God of righteousness. We've been singing those very words today in our psalms and our songs, haven't we? Not but I, but Christ in me. It's not me. It's not my righteousness. We, we, when we had communion together, we were thinking about those very things, the imputed righteousness of Christ, Christ's righteousness given to us. David cries to the God of his righteousness. David calls, calls, cries to the God of righteousness. Be gracious to me, he pleads, and hear my prayer. I may have told this before, but it's worth telling again. The first memory I have of God answering one of my prayers was when I was seven years old. My brother is uh, six years younger than I am. 
And I remember the joy of having a baby brother. We have a, I have a sister who's two years younger and a baby brother. Our brother, my brother is six years younger, two years younger for the daughter and the, my, my, my sister and six years younger for my brother. My little brother had a fever. And I remember mom put us all down for a nap. So we're all sleeping. And all of a sudden, I remember being awakened from a nap to hear my mother screaming. And I wake up and I look and I see her holding one-year-old Garen, who is now Pastor Garen, <laughs> my brother. He's holding him and he's convulsing. His eyes have rolled back in his head. They're, 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 they're open, but there's no pupils. It's, they've rolled back and he's just shaking uncontrollably in this convulsion. I've never seen this. My young mother, my mom, who was a young mother, had never seen this. And I can remember hearing her cry, Oh, God. Please don't take my baby. She went to the neighbor because we didn't have a car at the house. My dad was at work with the car. They drove her to the hospital and I stayed with my next door neighbors, Aunt and Uncle Rich. And I remember they called, they called my brother Billy Boy. And so Uncle Rich drove my mom to the hospital, and I, I went and just walked around our house, walked around our house, praying a seven-year-old's prayer. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Help my brother. Please, God. Help Garen. Please, God. And probably an hour or so later, Miss Rich came out and yelled to me, Kevin! I came over, and she says, your mom's on the phone. Your mom is on the phone. And she hands me the phone, and she says, Kevin, yes, Garen's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And I can remember as I hung up the phone, being dumbfounded. I had cried out to God, and he answered me. I had cried out to God. And he answered me. That was the first of many cries. The first of many. Sometimes God answers like that. Sometimes he answers quickly. You need something. You need help. Here it is. Boom. We're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Thank you, Lord. But other times... He may take his time, might he? He may be slow to answer. C.S. Lewis felt that when he lost his dear wife, Joy. He wrote in A Grief Observed, which at the time of its publication, he was embarrassed to even use his own name. He didn't publish it under C.S. Lewis, but a pseudonym. He says in A Grief Observed, as he reflects on the, the loss of his wife, he says, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms when you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcome with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. A sound of bolting and a double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, 
the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights on in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. And that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? This truly is part of the normal Christian experience. It's why Christ fell himself. In Psalm 22, it's what David speaks of in Psalm 13. Listen, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And as I said before, listen to Christ from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. You see, we have a Savior who sympathizes with us. Christianity has a God that is completely different than any other world religion. We have a suffering Savior, one who understands us, one who has walked with us, one who became one of us. Hebrew 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Friends, Allah cannot sympathize with the weaknesses of His people. In Buddhism, there's no sympathy for the weaknesses of their people. There is no God in Buddhism. In any other world religion, there's no God like our Savior Jesus Christ. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, friend, I believe God uses the waiting to grow us to maturity and to increase our trust and faith in Him. He's doing something when He's waiting to answer. He's, he's finding out, do we really have faith in Him? Can we really trust Him? Can we really say, you know best, I'm waiting on you. I remember when I was in college, I uh, came home. I was going to college in Oklahoma, and I came home, and, and my dad had a habit of, of with myself and my brother uh, finding us jobs. And so you'd, you'd be thinking, I'm coming home from college, no more exams, man, it's going to be great, it's summer, and then dad, you know, usually gives you maybe like one day and then says, says hey, I got a job for you, you know, oh, okay, great, what am I going to do? You're going to be, uh, you're going to be uh, working with a guy who puts in sprinkler systems. This is uh, southeast Texas, and that year, it became, uh, a law was passed that you could no longer hire illegal aliens to work on your crew. So they let go their laborers and they hired me. And I can remember the, the guy who I worked for, Jerry Rasmussen, was a, a member of our church and he shows up and he's like, here, Kevy Kevy, here's a pique and here's a shovel and uh, diggy diggy. <laughs> right? Bad, really bad Tex-Mex, okay. And I'm like, what? All summer, in the heat of Kerrville, Texas, digging through what we called caliche, which is a hard white clay. You have these trenchers, and the trenchers, 
uh, would get torn up. And so they'd, they'd, they'd try the trencher, and then the trencher would get torn up, and they'd say, hey, Kevy, <laughs> grab a lay pick. <laughs> get a pick. Get a shovel. Come on. Dig, right? And I can remember just slinging this pickaxe all summer long, all summer long. I probably weighed 120 pounds wet back then. I worked all summer, suffering, doing all that. And I can remember going back to school. And as I walked onto the campus as a sophomore, this young lady who was in our choir saw me and she's like, wow, what did you do, work out all summer? And I was like, no. You know, she's like, oh my goodness. You know, he'd been transformed. <laughs> Went from a skinny little guy to having some muscles, right? <laughs> Romans 8, 18 says this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, as we wait on the Lord, as we trust and hope in Him through our suffering, He is doing something in us. We don't even see the transformation, but He is building in us spiritual muscles. He is strengthening us. He is helping us. And so we should rejoice even in our times of waiting, in our times of lament. Verse 2 in our passage says this, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. David here challenges those around him who want a quick answer, who are not willing to wait on the Lord. They seek after other gods, other means to get the response they want. They are the Old Testament equivalent of the prosperity gospel teachers. I want it and I want it now. God is like this transcendent uh, 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 divine butler to say, pick this up, give me that, give me this, I want it, I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to get it. If God will not tell me what I want, I'll find a God who will. If God will not tell me what I want, I'll find a God who will. There are times when people come and visit us and they listen and we've had people who have left and said, I don't like what you guys preach there. There are times when I've told you of, of people coming and saying, I'm kind of mad at you, Pastor Kevin, or other pastors. Well, why? Because of something I've said? Yeah. What was it I said? You said I was a sinner. <laughs> you are. <laughs> and so am I. That's why we say this every Sunday. We love you enough, visitors, to tell you the truth. We love you enough to tell you the truth. We had a discussion at community group just last week talking about what kind of doctor, if you have some horrible disease, you don't want a doctor who says, you know what? Have an ice cream cone. It'll make you feel better. No, you want a doctor who slaps that x-ray up there and says, this is a tumor. We're going to take it out. We're going to cut it out. You're going to suffer, but you're going to be better for it. We need the truth. Here in our passage, here comes the first selah. The first selah. The word selah occurs 71 times in the Psalms, particularly in the first three books 
and it serves as a musical notation. The word selah, the word selah gives notice of the beginning of a new section or stanza in a hymn or a poem designed for, for singing. Properly, it should be placed at the beginning of such a section or stanza. The word also may mean a lifting up of the voice or a mighty crescendo, or it may indicate the lifting up of the mind to ponder and contemplate what was previously said. Thus, it would mean to pause or meditate, says Steve Lawson in preaching the Psalms. So David, here in his psalm, says, How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. In the musical notation, the, the leader of the choir, the leader of the orchestra knows that's where the bum bum comes in. Or the crescendo of the choir, dun dun, and a pause to ponder and meditate. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? That's the question. Like a catechism. There's the question and here's the answer. But know this. That the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. God will secure to himself, this is what one commentator says, God will secure to himself his interest in you. The Lord has set apart him that is godly, every particular godly man for himself, in his eternal choice, in his effectual calling, in the special disposals of his providence and operations of his grace. His people are purified unto him, a peculiar people. Godly men are God, separated, sealed ones. He knows those that are his and has set his unique image and subscription upon them. He distinguishes them with uncommon favors. They shall be mine, saith the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. Know this, let godly people know it. And let them never alienate themselves from him to whom they are thus appropriated. Let wicked people know it and take heed how they hurt those whom God protects. Know this, that the Lord has set you apart for himself. That's what Paul is telling us in Romans 8, 28. When we're faced with these crises, when we're faced with these storms, when we face these droughts. And we know that for those who love God, right, those who are set apart, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? How can we answer this? You know the answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, we have a Savior in heaven who is praying for us. We know that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, don't they? Who's more righteous than Jesus Christ? As he prays for us, as he intercedes for us in our times of storm, our times of drought, our times of crisis. And we, we see in here this, 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 this doctrine of election, don't we? The Lord has set apart the godly for himself, the psalmist says. And we see in Romans here what's called, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but what's called the golden chain of grace. These things are linked together and cannot be torn apart like a, like a train or a chain. For those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does it mean to be glorified? Those who are glorified are those who will be in heaven, right? That's when we will be glorified. Well, those who are glorified have been justified, which is the preceding chain and the link. Those who have been justified have been what? Called. And those who have been called have been predestined. Each one of these is linked together, and there's no way to get off the train. If you have been foreknown, you have been predestined, you have been called, you have been justified, and you will be glorified. God has set the, the godly apart for himself. He has called us. He has known us. He has saved us. And for that, we give him glory. And so that's why it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Let me say it again, brothers and sisters, in the midst of your suffering, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. That's when, when they come to you at your job and say, you need to call a man a woman, you're willing to suffer at work to say, no, I can't do that because I love Jesus and I won't lie about his good creation. Well, you may lose your job. Well, you may, we may do this. We may do that. You may feel awkward. We may point fingers at you and call you a hater or whatever it is they may call you. And you say, you know what? This Sunday I just heard, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, so I won't lie about his good creation. We just call, let's just decide that, that trees are dogs. We're just going to change that. Like Miriam, you heard probably this week, the, 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 the de definition of woman was changed in Webster's Dictionary. The definition of woman is changed in <laughs> Webster's Dictionary. Where are we? 
We're living in the upside down, aren't we? The psalmist says this, the Lord hears when I call him. The Lord hears when I call him. We used to sing this old gospel song when I was a kid. Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. Striving alone to face temptation's sword. Where could I go but to the Lord? And the chorus said, where could I go? Oh, where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? Well, that brings us to point number two, David's command. David's command, verses four through six. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. The words translated be angry could also be translated tremble. In uh, our ESVs, there's a little footnote that says be agitated. So it could be translated as well, tremble and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. When these storms come, when crisis comes, when drought comes, what are we to do? We are to tremble, but don't sin. Instead, ponder in our hearts on our beds and be silent. Be quiet. Be still and know that I am God. You may not be getting an answer right now when you want it on your time, but in my time, I know exactly what I'm doing. Be quiet. Be quiet. It reminds me of the little, little child there, right? You're at the grocery store. This is very hard for me as an elementary school teacher. I had to really get over this. Go to the grocery store because I'm at an elementary school where I'm used to saying, hey, stop that, stop running, do this, do that, do that, do this. It's very difficult to go to the grocery store where you're used to having children obey you. Even that word today is foreign. Obey? Oh, who do you think you are? You know, obey? Obey. <laughs> I go to the grocery store and there's a kid there. Mom, 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 mom. Right, right? And you want to say, be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. Make the little master stop doing what he's doing, you know? Sit down. Get in the... I... <laughs> we, anyway, I don't, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we had an experience at a restaurant recently where a kid fell and... Anyway... It was, it, was, it was devastating to watch. And you hear the, the little kid's melon go boom on the, on the floor, right? And you're just watching thinking, oh, man. No, be quiet. God, 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 God. Be quiet. Stop. Tremble and don't sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. And then another selah. Wait. Think. Ponder. Rest in the Lord, trust in the Lord, wait on the Lord. David applies his own command in Psalm 63, 5-7. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Notice he doesn't say, my soul will be satisfied because I have fat and rich food. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy David says I will remember you upon my bed I will meditate on you in the watches of the night 
in those long nights when you can't sleep and something wakes you up? What are you to do? Wring your heads and cry out and be frustrated and all those things? No, don't be anxious. No. No, we listen to the Lord. We meditate upon Him and we remember His greatness and His goodness. And we think back about all the times that He's helped us in the past. Verse 5 says this, then, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And Psalm 51, 17 tells us this, which this passage we all know, what kind of sacrifices are right sacrifices? Well, the right sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not supplies, you will not despise. Put your trust in the Lord. Trust God. David knows that he must trust the Lord, but also he calls for others to trust the Lord as well. I must trust the Lord, but you need to trust God as well. What does it mean to trust? It means to, to rest. It's an act of relaxing in the Lord. I've given this example before. If we have a chair up here and you are to have faith in that chair, you can stand all day and point at that chair and say, oh, it looks sturdy. It looks good. It's very, oh, yeah, I'm sure it's very sturdy. I'm sure, well, do you think it'll hold 200 pounds? I think, I'm sure it'll hold 200 pounds. It looks very great. You, know, you can say all you want about it, talking about how objectively you believe this chair is is a good chair and is a faithful chair, but I don't know that you trust the chair until you sit down, <laughs> sit in it, pick your feet up off the ground. <laughs> Will it hold your weight? Is it trustworthy? We have a God who is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is full of faith. Our faith is is good. Our faith can, faith can rest in Him. We don't have to be anxious any longer. First Peter tells us this, doesn't he? Say, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. And doing what? Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Cast your anxiety. I remember a time when I was very anxious, dealing with life-threatening situations, and I was praying to the Lord and I physically, I can just remember physically taking my hands and, and just casting. I mean, I didn't know how to, how to do it, but I just cast my anxieties upon Him. I told the Lord, I, I can't handle this. I can't take this. I don't have the ability. You take it. You take Him. We cast our anxieties upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. Because he cares for you. Verse 6, back in our psalm, there are many who say this. Now the cynic begins to say, who will show us some good? Who's going to show us some good? Come on now. You Christians, you guys believe in God. Where's the proof in the pudding? This could be part of the cynic's saying here. It also, in other uh, translations, the, the, uh, the quote mark ends with good, and this is David speaking, so it could be either way, really. Who will, if it's a cynic speaking, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So if it's the cynic speaking, then he's saying, come on, Lord, prove yourself. Show me. You say you love me. Where's my husband? You say you love me. Where's the job? You say you love me. Where's the child? 
You say you love me. Where's the cure? Show yourself. Come on. That's one reading. Another reading could be, the cynic says, who will show us any good? And then David answers, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. If it's David talking there, then he seems to claim the ironic promise of blessing in Numbers 6, 24, 26. It has a, an echo of that, doesn't it? It has the, the sound of that ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you peace. So in this passage, there's really five or six commands from David as he commands us. He commands himself, he commands his soul and others to tremble, to ponder, to be quiet, to sacrifice, and to trust. And today, when you're listening to this sermon, I command you to do the same thing. In the midst of your storm, in the midst of your drought, in the midst of your crisis, tremble, ponder, be quiet, sacrifice, and trust. And finally, we come simply to David's consolation. David's consolation. What does David get? Verse 7 and 8, he responds, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. It's not that the pagans or those who reject God don't have grain and wine. We look around us and we say, man, that's a, that's a really nice car and that guy's a big jerk. <laughs> that guy's a total sinner. Why does he make that much money? That person doesn't love the Lord. Look at that house. But here's what we have that they don't have. We have more joy in our hearts than they have when their grain and wine abound. We have joy and we have something else. We have peace. David says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. On our beds tossing and turning all night? No. If we follow this psalmist in Psalm 4, yes, it's a drought. Yes, it's a storm. Yes, there's a crisis. But I trust God. I trust God. I remember Him in the watches of the night. I say my little prayer. I close my eyes go to sleep because he loves you because he loves me why why can we sleep in peace for you alone O lord make me dwell in safety brothers and sisters the safest place for you and i to be is right in the middle of God's will. The safest place for us to be is right in the middle of God's will. One of the commentators I was reading wrote about this passage and said that he, during the Vietnam War, received a letter 
from a Vietnam soldier. He was the pastor there, and, and he, this uh, soldier sends a letter to his, to his pastor to let him know how he, do, how he was doing. And he said, he described being in a firefight. He says, he's in the jungle. There's an assault. They have these cannons on the American side. They're, they're launching these cannons, shooting these cannons. He says, it's, it's incredibly hot and humid. He would say, you would think that all the, the, the unceasing, the, the, the ceaseless firing of cannons would do something about the mosquitoes, but they didn't seem to be affected. So there's the boom, boom, boom is going on throughout the night and the the tracers and all these things are happening and shooting back and there's mosquitoes just eating on you. And he says, I found a hole. I found a hole near one of the cannons and, and crawled up in it and laid down. And this passage came to his mind. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And he said to his pastor in the letter, I had the greatest night's sleep had ever had. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who loves us. You have a God who loves you. And as you look around and see the storms and you see the drought and you see the crisis that you may be in the middle of, if you're not in that storm or drought or crisis right now, hold on. It's coming. It's coming. How do we know that? Because Jesus promised us that, didn't he? You will have tribulation. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this word. Lord, what, a, what an encouragement from your servant David. From this beautiful king. And Lord, we're encouraged to remember... that the one true King, Jesus Christ, who will reign and rule forever, is the reason that David could trust and sleep in peace and joy. We now know you um, in history in a way that David didn't know you because of the word that we have and the revelation we have of the New Testament. And we are so thankful that you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us even now to rest in you, to trust you, to be faithful believers in you. And I pray for any soul that's listening to me, any brother or sister who is struggling even now, that you would help them, comfort them, strengthen them, and give them your peace. I commit this church and these people into your care. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.